The business case is a no-brainer because if you're not reflecting 50% of the world's population on content on film, then you're missing out on 50% of your possible consumers. Thinking about it as a positive, not a negative. And I think that's where the industry was for a long time, which was like, well, what do we have to take away when we add inclusion? And it's actually, no, it's a plus plus. Hello and welcome to the AMP Amplified a podcast series from Ampere Analysis where we speak to voices in the industry about the latest innovations, trends, and important issues in the wider media sector. In this episode, Ampere's Alice Thorpe is joined by two guests creating change in the TV and film industry around female representation both on and off screen. Nina Goswami of the BBC and Melissa Silverstein from Women in Hollywood discuss how inclusion initiatives are helping drive both structural change and commercial success. If you haven't already, make sure you subscribe to The Amp. And to learn more about Ampere's research and services, head to ampereanalysis.com. Hello, and welcome to a very special edition of The Amp podcast. I'm very excited to be joined by two guest contributors today, Nina Goswami, Creative Diversity Lead at the BBC, and Melissa Silverstein, founder and publisher of US website Women in Hollywood and co-founder of the Athena Film Festival. We'll be talking about the ways content producers globally can and are using data to improve women's representation on and off screen and growing their audience in the process. I'll first be chatting to Nina about the BBC's 5050 project, which was set up to monitor the representation of different genders across the UK public broadcaster's output. The project's success has seen it expand both within and beyond the BBC, and 5050 now provides a roadmap to equal representation which other organisations can follow. As highlighted by a recent parliamentary inquiry conducted by the Digital Culture, Media and Sport Committee here in the UK, active monitoring of on-screen representation is an increasingly important tool for traditional broadcasters, like the BBC, in ensuring their content can compete on a global stage with that of the international SVOD services. It's not just on-screen representation, which both broadcasters and SVODs are increasingly looking to track. We'll be chatting to Melissa about how the presence of women creatives behind the scenes translates to women's representation on-screen, as demonstrated in a recent Netflix report. She'll also be sharing her insights into the way the conversation around women's representation in Hollywood has changed in recent years, and how inclusion has become a recipe for box office success. But first, I'd like to come to you, Nina. Um, could you give us a bit of background on the BBC's 50-50 project? How did it come about and how does it work? Yeah, absolutely. It's my favourite story. So, um, <laughs> uh, so I'm more than happy to share. Um, Ros Atkins, um, he's a presenter of Outside Source, which is a, a news programme on BBC uh, News Channel and World News. And back at Christmas 2016, um, he was taking a car journey, listening to some of the BBC's radio output, and he didn't hear a single female voice for an extremely long time. And he just thought to himself, how in this day and age can that be? Um, and so he spent his Christmas, as you do, thinking about a solution to this. And um, when he came back to the London newsroom in 2017, he said to his team, right, let's just see where we are. Let's understand where we are and what we need to do to change this. And so that's where 5050 was born. Um, and we use the same three uh, core principles uh, today as we did back then. And we collect data to affect change. We monitor what we can control um, and uh, we never compromise on quality. So the reason why we collect data 
all the time. So what we're doing is we're counting the number of men, number of women on our content, and we're looking to reach, if it's a daily program, um, 50% women representation in a month. Um, we count literally just the number of men, number of women. Um, everyone counts as just once. Um, so we keep it kind of quick and speedy so you get a kind of a sense of what your program is. And we want people to be sharing their data as soon as they can, um, sharing it with the team so everyone understands what's happening in that particular program and that particular product, but also share how they're doing for that month as well. So say you're two weeks in and um, you're at 70% women, 30% men. How do you bring that balance? How do you bring it back to 50-50? What is it that you're doing in your content or storytelling that uh, means that one particular uh, group is not being represented um, equally? So then a single month is taken as representative in terms of sharing that data with the organization as a whole. And um, what's your success rate been like so far? What sort of change in the numbers have you seen? Yeah, absolutely. Every year we hold a 50-50 uh, challenge month um, and we are in our third one for 2021, uh, which we held in March. And um, so we'll have the figures revealed shortly. But um, in the interim, um, I'll tell you about uh, last year. So last year, again, it was March 2020 uh, when we um, held the challenge month. And you can imagine, obviously, we're going into lockdown at uh, this moment. And uh, for us, we were concerned that people might stop monitoring um, because it's voluntary. 50-50s um, ethos is all around voluntary collaboration. Um, so we were really pleased that those who stayed on air, the critical services uh, for the BBC, two thirds of those reached 50% women. Um, and if you compare that to when they joined the project, there was only about a third of them reaching 50% women when they started. So you can see that dramatic change that's happened. And uh, when you compare it to the previous year's challenge month, as a project as a whole, there was a nine percentage point increase. So as a collective, we're seeing that growth as well. Year on year, hopefully, let's see what happens this year. Um, we'll, um, uh, we'll be seeing that um, more teams are reaching 50% women. And, you know, that's the that showing that trend to me shows that there's culture change taking place in the BBC um, and that, you know, we've identified a way that we can make that improvement. Um, and that's why we're sharing it uh, outside the BBC to um, our partner organisations. Uh, so as I mentioned, um, just over 85 in, in 25 countries. A lot of them are media organisations, but many are um, also from outside uh, the media now. And, and there is a reason um, <laughs> for, for this. Um, and the reason is that, you know, we as the media, and this is with my news hat on, we need spokespeople and contributors from all different walks of life. If we don't know where they are, <laughs> we need um, organisations to be, you know, identifying them for us and putting them forward to us. So it's a kind of a cyclical process. If they're creating 50-50 within their own organisations um, and identifying the spokespeople and the talent in their own business, then they can put that forward to us as the media, helping us to become 50-50 as well. Now, I know you're expanding it across different production teams. That presumably presents something of a challenge because you started in news with unscripted, uh, in unscripted content and counting people appearing in your news broadcasts. So how does that methodology translate to scripted content, for example? Yeah, we tailor um, the kind of process depending on the on the content. So obviously, we we're not only on TV; we do radio, online, uh, anything and everything. Uh, so we we just take the key four principles, and then we work with the teams to see how 
and um, we might have to adapt kind of the methodology that we came up with for news um, so that it will work for, for different content. So uh, so when it comes to scripted, what we do and um, say like with casualty or whatever it might be, is we might, uh, which is a long running uh, UK series drama that we would say, right, how do you, what do you want to monitor? What is the things that you need to create change in or do you want to understand better? So for um, something like scripted, you would think maybe main character, your kind of extras as maybe two separate things that you're counting um, so that you can get a bit of a clearer idea of where you're going with it. Often, obviously, main characters you, you can't control necessarily because they've been the mainstay of a long running series or a returning series. So but you might just want to get an idea of what that is looking like. But by splitting them out, that means that you can really see the extras and the incidental characters and go, right, okay, well, we can really control these. So, you know, last episode, we were, uh, I don't know, 80% um, men. What happened? Why Why did the casting happen in a way that it ended up going in that direction? And then you can fix it for the next time. Now, of course, a, a public service broadcaster like the BBC can be said to have a duty in a way to reflect its audience as part of its remit. Um, but even just this past year, we've seen a lot of big commercial organisations um, Viacom, CBS, Sky, ITV Studios here in the UK, to name a few, but also in the US, announcing initiatives like no diversity, no commission policies and production schemes, which are aimed at getting more women and people of colour behind the camera. Um, and I think if something can be said for the for the global production shutdown caused by the pandemic, um, it's at least that it, it seems to have given org- organisations the time and space to work on these issues and reflect on how inclusion can help them grow their audiences. Um, so, Melissa, I'd like to come to you for some perspective on this, because I know you're a longtime observer of women's representation behind the scenes in the wider industry. Um, so I mean, how, in your opinion, has the way the film and TV industries think about gender representation in particular changed in recent years? Well, I've been doing this almost 15 years now. And for the first, I would say maybe 10 um it was kind of a circular conversation um, between people in the industry. And then um, I think there were moments where things changed and people could um, could enter into the conversation. And I think one of the big moments was, you know, Catherine Bigelow winning the Oscar and people going like, oh, that's the first woman to win the Oscar. It's like these big moments where people can recognize and they can they can process it so that was able we were able to have a global conversation about that. And then there was Patty Jenkins directing um, Wonder Woman. And she kind of leaned into the conversation about the lack of opportunities for women directors. And I think most of this conversation was focused on women directors at first because it was the most visible position. And so it was really easy for people can go one plus one is two. I get it. Um, and I think that was some of the key. But with the industry... Um, you know, with everything being shut down and then people starting to come back up and really having these conversations about what does diversity and inclusion programs look like? Because they've been, ha- they've had these programs, right? But they were never programs that got you jobs. They were programs that were very cosmetic, I think is the best word for it. And it's really about leadership. I mean, um, when, you know, Tony, as you were saying, you know, he said, we're going to do this and then people have to do it. So if you have a person who, in, who is in leadership and says, you know, we're going to change, things change. I mean, as you say, it does seem like a, a lot of the initial groundswell around this came at first from individuals 
uh, an almost a word of mouth awareness, but it's a big step from from recognizing where these kind of initiatives can add value and actually finding a way to implement them, which works for your organization. I mean, looking back at the, I think it was the Oscars in 2018, I always remember how Francis McDormand um, mentioned the words inclusion rider in her speech and suddenly everyone was Googling, what is an inclusion rider? And and nobody knows the answer still. <laughs> and nobody knows the answer still. Right? So it, it, I, I always say inclusion rider is a concept. You know, every, it, it's going to be different on every set. It's going to be different for every organization. It's a legal term and it's about power and it's about using your power to um, make your set more inclusive. Right. Um, but there, there too, the onus is on certain key individuals, I suppose, to to leverage their star power, if you will, in contract negotiations. But I mean, more recently, we've seen organisations expanding that to their commissioning as a whole. Um, Nina, I know that BBC Studios, your commercial arm, introduced an inclusion rider for all their content at the end of last year, uh, all their scripted content. Was that process something which came out of existing conversations like 50-50? Yeah, no, we, we, we are uh, fortunate at the BBC that we have um, the marvellous uh, June Sopong as our creative diversity director. And um, one of uh, her first kind of thoughts was around, you know, trying to provide the tools to the industry to try and make change. And so the inclusion rider was part um, of that and um, has been marvellously brought together by Vinnie uh, Shergill over at uh, BBC Studios. Um, and all of this is about trying to get people to to think differently um, because if you've got the tools, you understand what you look like, what your makeup is in terms of your workforce, whether it's behind the scenes or in front of the camera. Um, if you understand it, you can make change to it in the future. And that is basically the kind of the concept that runs through pretty much every tool um, that we have um, is the idea that if you understand what you're doing and you can identify the gaps, you can make the change with it. So the Inclusion Rider and 5050 both do a very similar thing um, in that space. But just to pick up on some of Melissa's points, I really, um, I really agree with the, the thought that, you know, it's, it's us as people who you know, have to drive the change. You know, it's every individual um, that has the power to be able to do that and, and make the difference. And 50-50, which is about increasing women's representation, started with just one man um, thinking, right, we need to make a change. Um, and then, you know, it was through everyone's passion for creating that change that it's grown to where it's got to now. So I think, you know, something really powerful in individuals coming together um, in the way that Melissa was talking about. Yeah, exactly. And I guess that's how it that's how it builds and that's how it becomes formalised. Um, we've also, of course, seen the likes of, of Netflix actually commissioning their own report into diversity in front of and behind the camera. Uh, that came out in January this year. They've worked with um, Dr. Stacey Smith and her team at USC Annenberg, um, the Annenberg Inclusion Initiative, that I, uh, who I know both of you are very familiar with. Um, they've been doing academic work in this space for some time. Something which struck me from that report, actually, was that when it comes to Netflix scripted originals produced in the US, um, Dr. Smith concluded that, uh, to quote her, inclusion happens when women are giving the, given the keys to the kingdom. I mean, it's not rocket science, right? It's like when you have people who want to tell different kinds of stories, they're going to hire the people who are supposed to be in those stories, right? 
you know, the data has also driven this movement. I mean, when I first started doing it, I was in touch with people at film festivals, a lot of women's film festivals who were banging the door on their funders, asking them to, you know, count how much money is going to women directors. And they didn't want to do it at all because they knew it was very, very little. Um, and it was a movement of pressure over many years to start putting out the data and then, you know, pressuring people to sign a parity pledge and all these kinds of things, which were all small tools on, on, on the journey, right? Nothing's perfect. Nothing is, uh, is going to be the end of the line. This is an ongoing thing that I don't think, you know, the industry is ever gonna or should stop doing. Yeah. And I mean, it, obviously there's a, there's an argument in terms of the, um, uh, the economic argument for keeping up these kind of initiatives and, and doing this sort of stuff consistently. Um, the Annenberg, the Annenberg Inclusion Initiative, in fact, have also done a, a lot of work around this in terms of looking at the numbers and quantifying how female-led movies perform at the box office. And, and something their um, Ticket to Inclusion report highlighted was the fact that, as you say, Melissa, women directors and female-led scripts were attracting significantly lower budgets, um, being given less marketing, um, because of this, I guess, a perception in the industry that they didn't have as much box office potential. But actually, what Stacey and her team found was when you account for the disparity um, in terms of the initial investment, female-led movies are seeing just as much of a return in terms of ticket sales as movies with male protagonists and from male directors. Um, and in, in some cases, in fact, where these films um, actually feature people of colour, they were seeing a bigger relative return in revenue than for films with all white casts. Black Panther. I mean, per perfect example, right? You centered a, a black man, an entire black cast, mostly black creatives, and everybody wanted to see it. it and it, ch it changed people's minds. They're like, oh, everybody around the globe wants to see something like this. But they're understanding more about how much money they're leaving at the table. There was just a new report out from um, McKinsey, which is, you know, an outside company and the consulting. And they said they're leaving $10 billion literally at the door um, for not having more black representation. And, and, and it's the same, same for women. It's about opportunities and it's about access. Yeah. And, and where I think companies like Netflix have seen the value in that is with growing their subscriber base. I mean, they're reflecting on their output in, you know, in a way and asking, who are we not reaching? Because that's going to be crucial in terms of subscriber retention going forward um, in a more crowded marketplace. Um, oh, yes, Nina, Nina, I can see you have a point there. <laughs> yeah, no, I just want to say um, how the Netflix strategy is, it's brilliant and it's great how they're innovating um, and, you know, leading the charge for, for the streaming services in, in that way. And I think, you know, what's great as well as they're being so transparent about it that we can all learn from them and I think that's you know something that that's quite exciting and Stacey um has been doing some work with us as well and we have the uh, belonging blueprint that she she worked on with us which is kind of like f her kind of five uh, pillars of inclusion so you know the work that she's doing uh, with Netflix um, and with us is mirroring um each other and I think you know the more of us who are kind of following a very kind of inclusive kind of program um as that is, is is really kind of quite encouraging and quite uh, quite exciting to see. Yeah, and I think a, a lot of these initiatives that you know, it's worth reiterating they are being motivated by the, the kind of the economic arguments which have been brought to the fore with um, with research such as the, the Annenberg work. I mean, it's really is you know making the business case for inclusion. Um, 
and on that point, Nina, and what kind of conclusions has has the BBC been able to draw from the fifty fifty project? So we, when we talk about fifty um, fifty and um, women's representation, I always say uh, to me the business case is a no brainer because if you're not reflecting fifty percent of the world's population on content on film, then you're missing out on fifty percent of your possible consumers because. There is so much research out there, the Gina Davis Institute research, showing that, you know, if you're reflecting women in the content, if women are in the actual films um, that you're seeing in the movies, then they are more likely to come and watch it and more likely to consume it. And we see that come through um, in 50-50 as well. Since we've increased women's representation on BBC content, we're actually seeing that our um, particular audiences are actually enjoying content more. Uh, 40% of 16 to 34 year olds say that they enjoy content more. And um, this is the business case of it. 32% of women aged 25 to 34 say they consume more content as a result of increased women's representation. So, you know, if you don't believe Gina Davis, it's there. It's there in the it's in there in black and white from the 5050 project as well. So, you know, really thinking about the diversity on screen, but also what's happening behind the camera as well. As Melissa says, when you look at Black Panther, having that different prism, looking through um, a different lens, brings a different creativity, a different innovation and a different voice, which people really want to hear because they love hearing different perspective. And, you know, that's that's a real kind of beauty of, of having that diversity on both um, in front and behind the camera. And, and thinking about it as a positive, not a negative. And I think that's where the industry was for a long time, which was like, well, what do we have to take away when we add inclusion? And it's actually, no, it's a plus plus. Of course, the implementation of these kind of initiatives doesn't happen overnight. And as you say, it's an ongoing process. I, I you know, a grassroots kind of world that I live in with, um, Women who do stuff at film festivals pretty much was, um, you know, the 50, 50 by 2020 campaign. And while the, the, it was a concept, right? Everyone's like, Oh my God, I'm not going to get to 50, 50 by 2020. And I'm just like, well, yeah, <laughs> of course you're not. Um, but it's a point. It's about pushing the people. And I am, I am a hundred percent sure that the folks at the Cannes Film Festival wouldn't have, um, felt the need to stand up on these issues had there not been a concerted media push, uh, a lot of voices out there saying it's unacceptable for the largest festival, most prestigious festival in the world to just not have any women in your competition. Yeah, absolutely. And I like your point about kind of with 50, uh, 50 by 2020. That Yeah, there was no way that that was ever going to happen. But it's the it's the ambition and it's the aspiration to get there. And I always say to people, you know, um, you know, as long as you're like moving up by like one percent every now and then and you're moving in a positive direction, then that's you know, that is positive change. Um, and, you know, at some point we'll get there. But um, it's important also that it's not just like quick change because it needs to be sustained and it needs to stay there. And I think from from your example of the 50-50 project, um, what's clear is that by starting with a with a focus on gender representation, focusing on a single metric as a, as a, as a test case, if you will, that's allowed you to say, okay, we have our proof of concept and this is informing our business decisions in a very real and valuable way. So let's expand it. Um, so how, how have you gone about that? 
Yeah, absolutely. So um, we definitely we're always looking at different ways of, of building on the success that we've we've got with um, Fifty Fifty. And so um, in October last year, our new director general, not so new now, uh, Tim Davy, uh, announced that we have um, expanded um, the use of those three core principles to ethnicity and disability monitoring as well. So uh, for the UK um, across the board, we um, have a, a Fifty Twenty Twelve as our kind of target. So fifty percent women. 20% ethnicity and 12% uh, disability. And that, that was set as a workforce target. And we're reflecting that um, on our content as well at kind of a UK level. So what we do, however, is that we adapt that. We adapt the targets depending on the um, particular audience that the um, content um, is trying to reach. So, for example, I, I use the example of uh, BBC London. Um, you know, if they were aiming for 20% um, ethnicity, they would be um, underrepresenting their particular um, audience. So they would aim for 50%. Five zero percent. Whereas, like BBC Norfolk um, in East of England, uh, they uh, would be aiming for a, a much lower figure than twenty percent uh, because it's more representative of their area. But they up the disability figure because they have a higher uh, disabled population. So, so it's all very much adaptable and, and flexible. Um, and the teams set their own targets because they know their products, they know the audience that they're after. Um, and well, we just want them to stretch themselves is, is, <laughs> is frankly what we're looking for. So to, to finish off, we've considered the ways in which content producers are collecting data around gender representation and how that's valuable in terms of informing their commissioning strategies and, and how they're seeing returns, both in terms of audience loyalty and also the box office. But beyond that, why is this important? It's so important for kids and people to see themselves reflected. And that's the whole point of this, right? Which is like to give people the power to imagine what they could be. And so like, I always, I like the story about hidden figures, you know, like girls want to be, you know, scientists and work in, you know, be rocket scientists. I mean, that's not something they saw. Didn't see black girls doing that. And so that is the point of this, which is like, it's always been a kind of dream factory for boys. And now it needs to be a dream factory for everyone. You just reminded me of a story, actually, um, from our weather presenter, Matt, uh, Matt Taylor. And he, he's got two, two daughters and he's been trying, he was trying forever to get them to play football, soccer. Um, and, they, and the girls both said, well, that's just boys. That's what boys do. And then we had, obviously, the, the Women's World Cup um, a couple of years ago. And they went football crazy um, and he couldn't get them to stop playing. And that is the power of role modeling. It really changed people's perceptions. And it, it's it's so valuable um, to, to all the industries when they're looking for that diversity. If she can see it, she can be it, to quote Gina Davis. Um, well, sadly, that's all we have time for today. But I'd like to say a big thank you to Melissa and Nina for sharing their insights with us. If you'd like to find out more about the BBC's 5050 project and perhaps how your own organisation can adapt the blueprint to make it work for you, you can go to bbc.co.uk forward slash 5050. You can find more of Melissa's work with Women in Hollywood at womeninhollywood.com and at the Athena Film Festival, which is held annually and dedicated to films which celebrate women's leadership. As always, for more on Ampere's research and services, you can go to amperanalysis.com. We hope you enjoyed this episode of the AMP Amplified and thank you very much for listening. <laughs>